Is your refrigerator running? Well, you better hurry up and catch it. <laughs> I think anybody who has ever been to a sleepover has heard of that prank phone call before. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability, and this is episode 81. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Real Paper wanted to sponsor this show, and I will be completely transparent here. Part of that deal was to give an honest review and write three ads. You've already heard two ads at this point, and this is my honest review. Not only did I try it at home and forced my husband to try it unknowingly, I then came to work and shared the toilet paper with all of my co-workers. I actually came into work and passed out toilet paper rolls and told everyone to go test them and get back to me. <laughs> I comprised a sheet of five different categories. Strength, lint, softness, facial tissues, because we all use toilet paper as facial tissues as well, and sustainability. And then I had everybody rank real paper on a scale of one to five, one being the worst and five being the best for each category. After everybody turned in their rankings, I did an average and here are the results. In terms of strength, the toilet paper scores a five because it is tough. It is single ply and there is no accidental poking through, even when you're only using one sheet. Also, it's a nice clean tear because of the strength so you don't get any misshapen half sheets. The next category was lint and again, it scored a five. There is minimal lint for the ladies. Woo woo! <laughs> Softness, a little bit lower. That one's a three. Now it is softer than gas station and office toilet paper. However, some of the leading brands of regular polluting toilet paper are a bit softer. So if you do have to wipe a lot, it's gonna make your bum hole sore. And that is from a coworker whose husband had an upset stomach, resulting in extra time in the bathroom cleaning out his colon. When used as facial tissues, which I've been doing that a lot because I've been sick for the last two weeks with my sinuses, it scores a two. Due to its strength, nothing blows through, which is fantastic. However, it's not super soft and really should only be used on the nose as a backup situation. Definitely choose the actual soft, fluffy facial tissues if you have sinus issues like me. And the last category is sustainability. In terms of sustainability, it is a five. I also want to reiterate, there is no plastic associated with real paper, and it's pretty awesome that they're able to figure out how to turn bamboo into toilet paper and stop cutting down trees just so we can all go wipe our butts. So out of 25 points possible, real scored 20, which is really good. So it is up to you and what is important to you. If you want to feel guilt-free and proud of yourself for doing another sustainable action, then check out Real Paper. You can use my coupon code GREEN, G-R-E-E-N, to receive 25% off your first order. More transparency here? Using my coupon code only gets you a discount. I do not receive any additional payment or kickback if you use this code. What I'm saying is, don't do this for me, do it for yourself. Check out realpaper.com to learn about how Real is helping to eliminate the threat of illness posed by a lack of access to toilets while promoting the use of earth-friendly, sustainable paper products. To sign up for a free and plastic-free toilet paper delivered right to your door before you need it, go to realpaper.com and use the discount code GREEN. Now it is time to catch up with Kaylin, and we got a bit to catch up on because I kind of had to cut it short last week. 
But I wanted to let everybody know that I am still continuing my bi-weekly trips to the composting facility. I haven't talked about it for a while, but I've hung in there and kept filling out my bucket and discovered that I don't actually have to go every single week. I can just do it every two weeks, which is great because it's like a 30 minute trip <laughs> to go up there and drop off the compost. And as great as it feels to compost and drive all the way up there and drop it off and drive all the way back every other week. I have my fingers crossed and I am really hoping that we're going to be getting curbside service up and running as quickly as possible. You know what else I did this past week? I rescued a rocking chair from the curb. That's right, I've been on the hunt ever since my younger son was born actually trying to find a rocking chair for his nursery because I do have one in my older kid's room that we still use every night for story time. And I was really trying to find one for my little one who by the way started walking this week. So I guess he's really not that little anymore. But anyways, I've been hunting all over Facebook Marketplace in the buy nothing groups, garage sales, free cycle, all of them, no luck. And then within my neighborhood, we have a Facebook group just for the members of the neighborhood. And somebody posted on their curb alert, here is a couch and a coffee table and a rocking chair. And so I ran over and snagged it. It's beautiful. It's a nice light blue, very velvety, soft, comfortable, excellent glider. Got my husband's truck, drove over there, hauled it, was able to get it up into the truck by myself. That sucker's heavy if you only have one person. Drove it home, unloaded it, did a deep clean on it with our upholstery cleaner because we do have one of those attached to our carpet cleaner because we have pets. <laughs> so the first thing we did was get a really nice carpet cleaner after we got married with our <laughs> Bed Bath & Beyond gift cards. <laughs> and then four days later, my older son found a permanent Sharpie marker and wrote all over the arm of that chair. And I cried because it was so much work to get it. And it was only looking good for four whole days before he ruined it. So now if you come over to my house, there's a blanket on top of that chair hiding all of the permanent marker. Little stinker. So if anybody knows how to get permanent marker out of fabric without ruining the fabric, that would be great. Because everything else that I found on how to get rid of it was pretty questionable and if it was going to ruin the fabric or not. And if you've been following along, I started growing the loofah plants inside my house like back in January because I was so excited. <laughs> so that means I've been in my house for literally like four or five months growing. Anyways, I finally transferred them outside because I'm pretty sure we finally got our last freeze, you know, because it's May and whatever. <laughs> but I finally got them planted outside. I did hunt for a trellis because it's a vine with squash and you're supposed to get a trellis. I've hunted and hunted. Well, I didn't. I hunted for free or previously used or just an item that would kind of sort of work as a trellis and I gave up. And then just decided to plant them along my fence posts and just let my fence be the trellis. So I did that and planted all four plants that I had. And last weekend, my husband mowed the lawn and did some weed whacking and accidentally chopped one of them down. So I only have three left. So <laughs> we'll see how many of them actually make it to the fall because that's when you harvest the loofahs. All I have to do is keep them alive for like another four or five months. We have been trying to fix the landscaping in our yard when we moved in we'd already had a six month old and you know three years later we still have a crazy busy life but the front yard had a combination of maybe four or five different styles of masonry bricks that lined the flower beds and the sidewalk and stuff and it was very hodgepodge and we really wanted to fix that and make it look nicer when you pulled up on our house 
So we did remove all of the rocks and the four or five different styles of bricks to the backyard and then got new bricks for the front yard. So now it looks more eye pleasing, has much better curb appeal when you pull up to the house. But then we didn't know to do all the leftover stuff in the backyard. So we decided to cut off like a corner of the backyard by the fence, a little corner area and block it all in and make a rock garden or a rock box. So we're gonna do that. That way our kids can play with their trucks and stuff. Kind of like a sandbox, except for sand attracts a lot of animals and they poop in it. And then your kid is covered in sand and sand gets all over your entire house and it's a pain in the butt to clean up. So with pea gravel and various sizes of rocks, that is significantly easier to clean up and you don't have to worry about a whole bunch of animals going in there and pooping all over it. So win-win <laughs> all the way around. Used up all of our leftover yard stuff and my kids have a new play area in the backyard. And the last item that I wanted to share with you was after my interview with Marco Evangelisti, I did reach out to my financial advisor and he showed me my retirement investments. And I'm not going to lie, it was definitely a bit over my head. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to explain it to you because I only understand a fraction of it. So here we go. On the retirement investments is a thing called the Morningstar Report. And that is not the same company as the Veggie Burgers. It's something else because <laughs> that was my first thought. Oh, it's Veggie Burgers. That's what we want. Anyways, the Morningstar Sustainability Report, you can look at that for your investments. And as I go through and click on it, it will show me on a scale of one to five, and it has little globes, like little earth globes, on a scale of one to five, how sustainable your investments are. So you can go through and take a look at that and figure out where you're standing. So I was pretty pleasantly surprised that two thirds of all of my investments were scoring three, four, and five globes because I was thinking it was gonna be way worse. And there is still a good chunk that had zero or one. And those are the ones that I'm gonna start targeting and trying to flip them to not support the earth damaging companies and flip them to companies that have that will make the earth better and protect the earth. I did find an article that talks about the Morningstar sustainability report, so I will put that in the show notes so you can click on the article and read it and hopefully get a better understanding of it than me. <laughs> but at least it's a starting point so we can kind of sort of get this figured out. Today's main topic of the day is all about food and more specifically the refrigeration storage of food and the cold storage process and how that is affecting the earth and what one man is doing to help get it under control. Please listen in on my interview with Monik Suri from Therma. CEO and founder of Therma, a technology startup whose mission is to help protect our food and our planet by building sustainable tools to eliminate food waste, energy inefficiency, and refrigerant emissions to protect consumers and combat climate change. Therma is deployed across thousands of restaurants, retailers, manufacturers, and government agencies worldwide with leading brands including McDonald's, Starbucks, Burger King, Now Foods, 7-Eleven, and Wyndham Hotels. So please welcome Monik Suri. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. All right. You've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to stay busy, trying to stay out of trouble here. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again for having me. Um, I joke with my friends that I'm a recovering lawyer. 
so don't hold that against me. But uh, a former attorney, I, I grew up in California in an ag town called Fresno in the Central Valley, and it all comes full circle since now we're working on uh, food supply chain in the farm to fork, and we're, um, we're building tools to help improve safety and sustainability across the food and pharma supply chains. Believe it or not, I've been to Fresno. My brother lives out there. Wow. Don't meet too many people who have been to Fresno these days. <laughs> I haven't explored the rest of California, but I've been to Fresno. <laughs> I love it. It was a great place to grow up. We had walnut orchards behind the house, um, you know, had uh, olive groves and vineyards nearby, you know, a lot of table grapes. Um, it's a great place for, for food and, um, and now wine. Uh, but I went to college and law school on the East Coast at Harvard, spent many years on the, uh, on the East Coast, about 15 uh, in uh, finance and government, uh, I worked as an investor right out of school, then worked briefly in the Obama White House on the economic policy team uh, as an intern and then fellow, and uh, got into technology kind of accidentally. I met um, uh, one of my colleagues at the White House, Beth Novick. She was the deputy CTO in the first Obama White House, and she was a recovering lawyer herself, as she calls it, and uh, uh, you know was a super inspiring intellectual and policymaker and thought there was an opportunity to bring technology into areas around compliance, regulation, law, and government. And uh, I joined her to start a center with her where she teaches at NYU. That's how I got into, uh, into the technology ecosystem and then later on built a company uh, in this space. So what transitioned you into food waste specifically? Yeah, the, the, you know, as life always makes sense uh, in the rearview mirror, as my dad likes to say. Um, we started working in uh, food safety and quality with our first product, which was a compliance tool uh, to improve safety and quality assurance uh, called Co-Inspect or Collaborative Inspect. Uh, that was, uh, you know, uh, that was a, a legacy of and a, a result of the work I was doing uh, with Beth uh, at the GovLab, the governance lab around building technology for governance and regulation related workflows. With Co-Inspect, we got started the same year as Chipotle had a food safety crisis back in uh, late 15. Um, they were struggling with a lot of food safety challenges, and we ended up uh, starting to work with restaurant chains, uh, food trucks, uh, food manufacturers, and growers uh, working on the safety side of their problem areas and helping them digitize a lot of paper and pen workflow. We realized a couple of years into building that product that one of the key parts of safety in the food supply was around the temperature holding conditions of the food. And so we started working on a second product, which has become our namesake, Therma. Therma is short for Temperature Humidity Equipment Remote Monitoring Application. And it was an automated way of monitoring the temperature in the refrigeration for holding all the product carefully and, and at the right zones. We thought we were building Therma around a food safety thesis. And we discovered when we put it in the world that companies wanted it because they wanted to catch loss events and catch downtime events and avoid product waste and product spoilage. So what we thought was a food safety solution has become uh, a food waste and a sustainability solution over the last couple of years as we've scaled Therma in the world. So we kind of stumbled into it. I'm very intrigued because I'm a dietitian and I manage a whole bunch of cafes. So food service is my whole world. So this is a monitoring system. What happens when things are not where they're supposed to be? Is there like an alarm that goes off or how does it work? Exactly, exactly. Well, you'll be familiar with a lot of these workflows. There's um, refrigeration in the commercial world is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Um, there are 200 million plus refrigeration units. 
And uh, many of those, if not the vast majority, are, are, are not monitored in real time. Uh, certainly not with any type of uh, cloud-based, um, immediately actionable uh, alerting. And so the first layer of product we built in Thermo was a, uh, a hardware uh, sensor that allows you to monitor refrigeration environments continuously. And then on the top of that 24-7 monitoring, a series of alerts and notifications that um, utilize SMS or text, email, phone call, and or in-app notifications to let people know, particularly about potential spoilage events, but also about excursions or about uh, violations of the zones, and in some cases about equipment malfunction. So um, in some, we try and catch loss events before they happen with real-time alerting and notifications delivered to your mobile device or, or directly to you as a user. I'm so excited right now because I'm gonna tell you a real quick story. Over the summer, when COVID first hit last March, a year ago, we threw all of our food stuff into the freezers because we were told we're shutting down for two weeks and then a whole year went by. And around the six, seven month mark over the summer, we have six different cafes and one of them, the freezer went down and we were just doing checks every morning, every night. And that was it. And it went down and it was down almost 24 hours before anybody caught it. And all that food was no good. <laughs> so then I got to stay after work <laughs> and clean up an entire freezer of thought out nastiness. So that's why I'm really excited because you would prevent that big gigantic headache that we had to deal with and all the loss of that food and all the money because food is money. Absolutely. That couldn't have said it better, Kaylin. I think that's exactly the kind of use case we try to uh, avoid and prevent. That's exactly the kind of loss event we help companies and, and, and operators avoid. But you said it well, food is money. I'm going to have my boss listen to this episode. <laughs> I'm going to send it right to him. You might get another customer. <laughs> That's great. We, we're growing. We're absolutely looking for new customers. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to speaking with your boss and your team. Are there other tools that help combat food waste that Thermo builds? So we have a second product, which is a, a workflow uh, tool, which does help with waste reduction in a couple of ways. It's a, a workflow system that helps you to catch and monitor inventory to help you catch and monitor safety or quality issues. Uh, and this is our co-inspect product, Collaborative Inspect, which is in many ways a, a digital or a mobile first version of the famous line check logbook. And so what we noticed was that the majority of operators in the food industry, food service, food retail, food manufacturing, were using paper and pen clipboards. Um, not the easiest way to document issues, not the easiest way to record or track problems. And so what you end up with is a lot of unnecessary throwout events, whether it's because of a power outage, a equipment malfunction, or human error. In some, a lot of product gets thrown out uh, between production and consumption. I think some estimates are that over 30% of food gets thrown out and wasted as a result of a range of issues, of which storage and handling and quality and safety are just one sliver, but it's still very large when you think about the size of that problem. You know. 1.6 billion tons a year, according to the Boston Consulting Group in a study a couple of years ago. So it's just the massive scale of food waste means that even a small improvement, you know, can help, I think, make a dent. Therma has really been our, our major, you know, kind of the major product play the last couple of years. And with COVID, there's been a lot of interest in remote monitoring. Many more locations are lightly staffed or aren't always staffed. And so you don't necessarily know what's going on when you're not there. And when you have fewer team members on site, there's more and more hours in the week that are unattended. And that's when most of the loss events happen. 
on nights or weekends or when in between shifts. And we're trying to provide 24-7 monitoring to help reduce that, like catching those loss events. I should mention, Kaylin, we have an, we have other layers of product beyond the monitoring that also help reduce waste. And so we have a second product layer that helps um, track and optimize the settings. What we've learned, we call that um, data insights. That's kind of our second product layer on top of the monitoring system. So the monitoring is like an alarm, but then the insights are basically ways of seeing what's going on with your refrigeration and helping catch um, miscalibrations or uh, temperature settings that might be inaccurate where you're ending up either overheating or overcooling product and having spoilage as a result of that. Or in some cases, we've been able to catch um, issues like uh, inventory delivery happening middle of the night where people are leaving the door uh, to a walk-in open for 60 or 90 minutes and just burning shelf life and burning energy. We can see that in the data that would have led to spoilage unnecessarily. You're just shortening the shelf life of tens of thousands of dollars in inventory in some cases. So we're catching a whole set of uh, operational uh, inefficiencies and operational problems that in some lead to food waste, not just um, extreme catastrophic losses, but that happens sadly quite a bit too. So this is audio, but so you can't see me to the listeners. I'm nodding my head. Yes. And yes. And yes. I'm in hundred percent agreement with me. We definitely use paper and a clipboard, which is very outdated system. We went from 15 people to one per unit, which is reduce staff, reduce monitoring. And yeah, we have those super early, super late night deliveries where the door is left wide open way too long. So would the alarm bells go off? when the door is left open too long as well? It would, it would. We, we have a, a series of alarms. It's similar to a intrusion protection. You know, it's, a, it's designed to be a escalation. So the longer and more severe the excursion or the, you know, the out event, the more serious the alerting gets. You know, we start with like a lightweight ping and then it starts to get more frequent. We move to more escalated tiers and eventually we move up the organization if it gets really bad. And depends to some extent on each organization's preferences, Kaylin. Everyone um, has the ability to set their threshold values and who gets alerts based on how many locations, the amount of inventory, and, uh, and how long something has been a problem. But yeah, we have a lot of times notified owners or um, operators about stuff happening on nights and weekends where they've sent people in and saved hundreds or thousands, or even in some cases, tens of thousands of inventory. Yeah, definitely. In regards to energy efficiency, what does Therma do to address this? Absolutely. So if you think of refrigeration, you know, as a, a highly distributed, but very energy intensive infrastructure layer, many people call refrigeration infrastructure, the cold chain. The cold chain is essentially all the refrigeration in the world that sits across many different verticals from restaurants to convenience stores, to supermarkets, hospitals, hotels, pharmacies, you know, distribution centers, there's a lot of refrigeration in the world, hundreds of millions of units. The refrigeration ecosystem and the refrigeration equipment assets are very energy intensive. It's, ex it's expensive and energy intensive to cool, to cool stuff and keep it cold. And what we've learned is that the majority of refrigeration units are not optimized around energy controls and energy management. They're kind of rough cut. So people often under or over set uh, controls based on feel or based on gut or based on what others have done in the past. Um, or in some cases, they just don't notice when equipment starts running hot 
or malperforming. And so they end up with equipment that's not even operating in the standards that the thermostat is set at. And what we realize in some is that there's huge opportunities to optimize that energy by tracking the variations and by providing visibility into those variations. And so the kinds of things we do on energy efficiency range from catching overheating or catching overcooling, often overcooling because employees and and team members will just lower the thermostat and blast things to keep them chilled or, or keep them frozen, unnecessarily cold. And they'll do that even in months when it doesn't make sense. So you'll have this running through winter months when the ambient conditions don't require. In some cases, the opposite problem, you know, where you don't cool enough in the summer months and boilage ends up being higher because equipment starts running hot. And so we catch those kind of like run hot events. But also in the cold storage industry, in the warehousing space, we offer heat distribution, heat mapping. So we're helping catch hotspots or heat lumps in spaces, in, in warehouses and distribution centers. And catching hotspots and heat lumps allows owner operators of these spaces to be more thoughtful and more optimized in their energy settings. Because most people so far in, in, in these kinds of environments have never had real-time heat mapping, they've often resorted to very simple and uh, inefficient solutions like lower the thermostat 10 degrees and run it 10 degrees colder all year. That's not necessarily the most efficient way to maintain product integrity. It works, but it's also a really expensive way to maintain product integrity. And so we're finding ways of illuminating and and notifying operators about hotspots so they can do things about them, like move pallets around or run a certain section colder uh, using granular controls or turn a fan on and push cold air through uh, or, or close a door that might be left open too long. That's a source of loss you know, energy loss and, and heat. And so these are all in some ways in which an organization can be more efficient about maintaining cooling without having to overcool entirely for 24, you know, 24 seven. And so those are the kinds of things we're doing in terms of energy optimization in different, in different uh, refrigeration environments. So does this tie in with reducing refrigerant emissions? Refrigerant, it, it does indirectly. Refrigerants and refrigerant emissions are yet another, you know, a source of sustainability opportunity and a, and a sustainability problem with the refrigeration cold chain today. Food waste is one, energy waste another. Refrigerant waste is yet a third. Refrigerants are the chemicals that go into the cooling process. Uh, they're greenhouse gases that are ultra warming. So when I was growing up in the 90s, uh, in the 80s, uh, in the 90s, getting older now, <laughs> the refrigerant landscape consisted of compounds that, you know, in many cases were um, ozone depleting. They ate the ozone layer. And so when I was growing up, there was a lot of talk about the ozone layer thinning out and problems around, you know, the poles and what would we do. We were able to come together as a society and through the Montreal Protocol and through countries banding together, we were able to regulate a lot of the most ozone depleting refrigerants. But the generation of refrigerants that replace them, though they don't eat the ozone layer, they do cause a lot of warming. They're up to 1,000 to 9,000 times more warming than CO2. So they're superheating refrigerants. They get released when refrigeration goes down. There are a certain amount of leakage rates and leakage events in the refrigeration uh, supply chain. And refrigerants get leaked during the life cycle and at the end of life of of refrigeration units. At Therma, we're not monitoring refrigerant emissions directly. It requires highly specialized sensors that are extremely expensive, that cost tens of thousands of dollars to monitor refrigerant emissions directly. 
But what we are doing is monitoring refrigeration performance. And by monitoring refrigeration performance and catching refrigeration units when they're starting to perform out of specs before they go down, we're helping reduce refrigeration downtime events. And in the process of reducing refrigeration downtime events, we're helping reduce the refrigerants that get leaked as a corollary to those downtime events. So though we're not measuring refrigerants directly, in, in many cases by catching refrigeration downtime early and often, we're helping reduce the refrigerants that would get leaked as and when that refrigeration goes down. And so indirectly, we're reducing refrigerant leakage by catching refrigeration performance and monitoring it directly. Is that, I hope that makes sense. It's a kind of indirect way. It does, it does. You explained that very well, thank you. Absolutely, and I've been shocked by the amount of climate impact that the cold chain has. You know, the, the, the kind of climate impact of this cold chain infrastructure layer is significant. And, you know, there's a fair bit of data on the cold chain and estimates about, you know, what percentage of total global warming the cold chain is responsible for, whether it's 10% or 15%. It's huge. It's a significant source of warming in, in total, and it's massively growing. The cold chain is growing rapidly because there's more and more demand for food and pharma in middle classes around the world as you know, developing countries are, are modernizing. As more and more of the supply chain gets refrigerated, cold chain is growing. There are many, many countries in the world that have very little cold chain today. Um, and so that cold chain is growing and getting extended. And cold chain in the form of refrigeration and cold chain uh, related products are also growing. E-commerce, online delivery, the whole movement towards buying and shopping online and getting stuff from restaurants or grocery or farms is all causing a huge boom in cold storage facilities. And cold storage is, uh, you know, I think the Wall Street Journal did a piece a few months ago saying cold storage is the hottest new space <laughs> in, in real estate. <laughs> uh, we're going to see a lot of growth in, in, in the cold chain over the next 30, 40, 50 years. We've got to figure out ways to make that infrastructure more efficient so we don't just exacerbate this, these problems. Actually, I think it's going to be sooner than 30 or 40 years, because at the beginning, I read that your program or your company is helping out with McDonald's, Starbucks, Burger King. But really, that's just restaurants. I mean, this is going a lot more than restaurants. It's going to affect grocery stores. Right. We saw that with the pandemic. The grocery store got revved right up. And then right around us, they've actually built six Amazon buildings. I'm in a small town in Indiana, south of Indianapolis, about 30 miles south. Six Amazon buildings around us and three of them are grocery style warehouses. It's all cool because they're going to be doing grocery deliveries coming up. Your program is going to be involved with all of that. So you are correct. It's growing real fast. Totally. And I think that's so many parallels and the kinds of things you're seeing, Kayla, in the world, and, and hope, I'm sure others are seeing in the world, like you're seeing these temperature control warehouses emerging everywhere. And, you know, as you said, like they're cropping up like all over everyone's hometown. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of that in the US. I think we're going to see a lot of that in Asia, in Latin America, in Africa. We're already seeing huge demand for cold chain. And so if we can figure out ways to be more thoughtful and more um, efficient about these new infrastructure layers, we can, you know, and the kind of equipment that we're building, I think we can save a lot of avoidable waste in energy and product and, and also in refrigerants. And the last thing I'll say, the irony is kind of this vicious feedback loop, which is that as the planet gets warmer, you know, refrigeration needs go up, 
and refrigeration causes the planet to get warmer. So it's this kind of, um, you know, there's this kind of negative feedback loop around refrigeration and global warming, which is, you know, really problematic. And so we want to try and break that cycle or at least reduce that negative feedback loop with better tools. Would thermo also be applicable to air conditioning, like air conditioning units? So um, we're not monitoring air conditioning units today directly. Uh, we are monitoring air uh, and ambient uh, temperature in some uh, deployments. And so some of our customers are using Therma to help optimize their HVAC uh, controls. And, and, and so I do think um, over time, we'll see more and more opportunities with air conditioning, although today we're mostly focused on classic refrigeration. But when you think about air conditioning as yet another source of kind of the problem and the challenge, air conditioning and, and cooling in general is expected to grow by some estimates 30 times from the size it is today by the end of this century. 30 times more air conditioning uh, and cooling than we have today in the world. And air conditioning and cooling is a big source of emissions as well. So there's a huge amount of opportunity and need to make that more efficient as well. We're doing so in a small way today by monitoring the air temp and the air humidity uh, with Therma and helping provide customers with data that they can use in many cases to optimize, you know, not needing to necessarily overcool uh, their environments. That's often, uh, you know, where we're seeing opportunities for efficiency. This is really designed more for companies, but do you see Therma in the future going down to an individual residential level? It's a great question and one that we've given a little bit of thought to. Um, I think there's a potentially significant opportunity with, with home refrigeration. Today, we're working almost entirely in commercial refrigeration, which is a large area with lots of problems and, and, and many businesses. But we did recently, a few months ago, set up a, um, a online, an online store uh, where you could go on and directly purchase Therma uh, and put in a credit card and have sensors shipped to you. And we've seen through that e-commerce uh, website, uh, a few individuals come through. Uh, a lot of small businesses, a lot of one, two, three, four location, you know, um, restaurants or hotels, food trucks, bowling alleys, um, all kinds of hospitality, retail and food service places. But we have seen a couple of people come through um, and purchase for their home. So I do think there is, you know, there's an opportunity if we could get the word out. The challenge, of course, with consumer facing technology is, you know, it's a big world. It's crowded and noisy. How do you get your, your voice heard and get you know, in front of the right, um, you know, the right groups of people? But I do think there's a need there because a lot of the waste, a lot of the food throwout happens in um, domestic refrigeration. And so if we could find ways of helping people notice when equipment and doors are either ajar or running unnecessarily hot and causing you know, long-term spoilage, uh, that would be great. That would help people save money too. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to cover? It's been a great conversation. And, you know, I, I, uh, I'm so excited, Kaylin, that some of the things I'm saying resonate for you at a personal level, you know, from your own background and, um, and from the work you're seeing and doing in the world. I would say, you know, if you're interested in learning more about our work, we're very much celebrating uh, both the product, but also the broader types of solutions around us. You know, we're, we see ourselves as part of an ecosystem. We're not the only solution. We're one of, you know, a thousand point oh one initiative that we've helped start. 
is a content initiative to celebrate innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors that are backing solutions to climate change um, and that could scale to become the one in a thousand that actually breaks through and creates a huge impact. So we're very much interested in, in collaborating with others. We're hiring. Uh, we've got almost a dozen open roles on the team and you can find those on LinkedIn or on AngelList or you could email me at monicahellotherma.com. But we're looking to partner with folks and, and grow and, and build the team out and, and always excited to meet other innovators. Are those remote jobs that are open? They are. They are. We've moved into a remote friendly, remote, you know, available work culture. So we have a team based out of the Bay Area and the San Francisco Bay Area, but we've also started hiring all over. Uh, so we've got folks uh, across the U.S. We've got some folks in Canada. We've got team members in Asia. And so we're, we're building a, a truly global team and uh, would love to chat with anyone who's interested. All right. So listeners of Sustainer Nation, if you are looking for a job and you think you've got some good skills, <laughs> Monix, looking for you. <laughs> Appreciate the plug, Kaylin. Appreciate the plug. It's a pleasure to be on today just to have a, you know open conversation about sustainability and coaching. And uh, yeah. If listeners want to learn more information, where should they go? Absolutely. You could, you could visit us at hellotherma.com. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a, a community of online collaborators uh, there through the Point One initiative. Uh, we also have our jobs and uh, we blog regularly there. Uh, but please check us out at hellotherma.com. And if listeners have a question that maybe I haven't asked, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, please feel free to email me directly. Um, it's uh, Monik, that's M-A-N-I-K at hellotherma.com, monic at hellotherma.com. You can email me, find me on LinkedIn, you know, on Twitter at Monic V. Suri or hellotherma and uh, would love to chat with folks and continue this conversation. All right. We have a few minutes to spare. So if you'd be so kind to humor me, we're going to play a little game. Love it. <laughs> I put this game together, keeping in mind that your whole company is focused around food and it is global. I'm going to see your knowledge in regards to world cuisine. I will name the national food, and you tell me which country that is coming from. Oh, wow. So these countries all have a national dish. So I'll name the national dish and see if you know the country. Okay, ready? Yeah. All right. The first one is Bulgogi. Korea. South Korea. Yes. Woo, good job. The next one is poutine. France? Very similar. Think north. Belgium? Oh, sorry. Think north of the US. Ah, Canada. There you go. <laughs> Roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Oof. The United Kingdom. I'll give it to you. It's England, but I'll give you United Kingdom. That was, <laughs> that was a little bit challenging. Love it. Meat pie. Ireland? Think down under, mate. Ooh, love it. Australia. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that was an accurate Australian accent on my end, but yours was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. I'm trying. Only a few left. Euro slash Sulvaki. This one had two dishes, so I put them both in there. I'm going to go with Greece. Yeah, you're knocking this out of the park. 
I may not pronounce this one correctly, so I apologize. I believe it's pronounced Kishdi. Oh, that's tough. Um, I'm going to guess Nepal. Um, I'm trying to think how to give you a clue without giving <laughs> it away. <laughs> think of one of the very larger Asian countries. India? Yes. Wow. That, I don't know. I've never had kitschdi. That was I eat Indian food a lot, but I've never had kitschdi. So <laughs> I was like, maybe that's just something I don't know. The Indian restaurants here in Franklin, Indiana are, are not that vast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good clue, though. It was a good clue. Okay. The last one. It's a real humdinger. You ready? I am. Put your thinking cap on. I'm putting my dining hat on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's the hamburger. Oh, wow. I mean, if that isn't the U.S., I wouldn't know what to do. That's got to be America. <laughs> you got it. It's the U.S. You did awesome. <laughs> I love it. Now you really got, you really wet my appetite. I feel like we need to go and try some of those dishes. Um, there you go. <laughs> that's a good thing. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything about Thermal with us. I had not heard of this before you had reached out to me. So I'm glad that you're able to come on and share and hopefully we can spread the word and get through all the noise that's going on so people can hear about your company and give you support. Because I think majority of people at some point in time have either been a server or at least gone to a restaurant. They've worked in food service. <laughs> they know the headaches that come with keeping track of the food and making sure that it's safe and well taken care of. And we appreciate all the hard work that you're doing to make our lives a lot easier. <laughs> Very kind of you, Kaylin. I really appreciate the invitation. I look forward to talking again soon. I'm excited for your pod. And uh, please keep um, you know, encouraging folks to get into sustainability. It's great to see. And I hope we get a chance to work with your team and help you, uh, you know, avoid any more uh, spoilage and, and ensure your, your safety for your, your guests. It'll be fun. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you all at you. Jet off now and you can go to your last meeting and then grab some dinner. That sounds great. Maybe a hamburger's in store tonight. Uh, thanks, <laughs> Great to meet you. Great to be on. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again, Monik, for a wonderful interview. And I want to tell you guys that I wasn't even able to wait for this interview to air. I immediately talked to my boss the next day about Therma. And that same day, he signed the contract to get Therma installed in all of our walk-in freezers and coolers. And the reason is... I forgot about this. In the interview, I talked about one incident where a cooler went down, but actually in the past year, there were two. I was out on maternity leave for one of them, so I wasn't there. But <laughs> those two coolers breaking and all of the food inside combined was about $11,000 worth of food that we then had to clean up and throw away. And it was incredibly heartbreaking and very, very stinky mess to deal with. And since we've had Therma installed in our coolers and freezers, twice, we've only had them installed maybe a month, twice we've been able to prevent issues. We've been able to see the thermometer gauge trending up like it was at. So refrigerator needs to be 41 degrees or lower. So we'll have our cooler set at 36 degrees and then we'll see it 36 and then 
Two days later, it's at 37. Two days later, it's at 38. Two days later, it's at 39. So we can see the trend where it's going up and we can get maintenance in there to fix it before it breaks and becomes an issue, which is really awesome. And then another time a delivery guy left the door open in a jar and we'd all gone home. So we got an alert on our phone. So we were able to call security, go and make sure the door was closed. Problem fixed. Otherwise, we would have walked into a broken cooler and a big gigantic mess. So these are really, really awesome. It's been worth it for our company. It is time for your weekly challenge. I'm gonna draw a card real quick here. The card says, appliances can still use electricity when left on standby, so be sure to switch off and unplug as much as possible each night. Hey, what a perfect timing for that card. <laughs> we just talked all about refrigerators, now you can't exactly stand, turn those off in between, but all of the other items, like if you have mini fridges that are sitting empty, you can unplug those or turn them off. And other devices like your toaster and coffee maker, your TV, all of that stuff, you can turn those off in between uses. And that might be kind of a pain in the butt. I know for us, the TV, the outlet is back behind the gigantic TV stand. It's not so easy to get back there. We just plug it in and leave it there. <laughs> so, Because it's really hard to get to. They do make little outlet switches. I don't remember what they're called. I think it's like a smart switch of some type. If I'd have known I was going to draw that card, I would have had this prepared. <laughs> I believe you can get them at Best Buy or on Amazon or something. They're little smart switches that go at your outlets and so you can turn them on and off via an app on your phone. It's, it's excellent for those really hard to reach places. So definitely be sure to check those out and see if you can incorporate that in this week somehow. Be sure to come back next week to listen in on the problems with landfills, all of the bad things about them, the smelly things about them, and all of the myths. We're going to bust those too. So stay tuned. Until then, continue saving the world, and I will talk to everybody again next week. Bye!